Inventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club, and I'm also the founder of this podcast. And I'm bringing to you the wonderful Michael Clinton, who is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. And he has written a fabulous book, which you all need to run out and grab, called Roar, into the second half of your life before it's too late. And I did not expect Michael, who I've known for many, many years in publishing. He was a marketing director. He was a big wig at Hearst. I'd never expected him to end up in the reinvention business. But alas, here he is. And the book is fantastic. And he talks to 40 different people, men and women. Interesting to learn from men as well about how they reinvented themselves and why. And we're having a lovely conversation here about what are the obstacles that stand in the way for people who try to reinvent, how to remove them, what to read, what to look for, and what to get rid of, how, how we're going to all set a bonfire to the most horrible word in the English language. So join us and listen in. And here's Michael Clinton. So welcome, Michael. This is so much fun to have you on the podcast. Leslie, I just am so happy to be with you and to be part of this podcast. And it's great to get reconnected again. Yeah, exactly. So for a long time, for people who don't know, Michael was the big kahuna where I was working when I was at Hearst Magazines. And now he is doing his own thing, which is so fantastic. So Michael, start off talking a little bit about your own reinvention very rapidly because it's so huge. And then we'll get to talking about Roar, your new book. Thanks, Leslie. Well, it was also, you know, we had a great long professional association to, together when you were the editor-in-chief of Red Book and then Marie Claire. And, you know, I spent 40 years in the, in the magazine business, uh, most recently as president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. But you talking about my, my shift and transition, I really started two years before and I started thinking about, you know, what's, what's the next? And I think this is really critical. And I learned this with the 40 individuals I interviewed in the magazine, that they start early. For me, I made a few decisions. One is that I wanted to sort of tap into my lifelong learning gene. So I went back to school and uh, ended up getting a master's degree in nonprofit management and philanthropy while I was in my 60s. It was great being a student again. And, you know, you were a student. We even ran into each other in the Columbia campus once. Um, and the other thing I wanted to do is everything I was reading was about winding down. And I wanted to wind up. So I wanted to become a new voice in the space of winding up. Because if we're 50 and healthy, we have a good shot of living to be 90. So I decided to write this book, Roar, to shine a light on the whole new possibilities of a very dynamic second half half of life. So all of that was in the in in the in motion while I was thinking about moving out of my first career. And I introduced in the book, which we can talk about, this whole concept of life layering, which creates other identities for yourself above and beyond what you do for a living, as opposed to who you are as a person. 
That's a great topic. The life layering, you were always very good at that. And I, I think, you know, you've, I, the way I looked at you from afar was this guy is like out and traveling the world and he's writing photography books and he's always got something else going on. You always seem to have something else fabulous and movie worth going on in your life. And I was always that kind of thing. And now it seems like you've taken that idea and made it into something. It was always part of you, but it was more visible, I think, than some people might have for their own kind of reinvention ideas. Yeah, well, I started it about 25 years ago. And so it's become a life philosophy for me. And I share a lot of the details um, in the book. But, you know, what I like to say is put your, your sort of job aside and put your family aside for a moment, your, your spouse, your partner, your kids, put them, you know, they're kind of table stakes to, to your life and start thinking about what layer do you want to add for you personally, the individual. So for me, you know, when I was 39 years old, I was the publisher of GQ. I had a great job. I had a great family life. But I really thought I was the most boring person on the planet. <laughs> so I decided to do two things as I was turning 40, to take a, a flying lesson, because I always wanted to be a pilot, and to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And that led to what has become my adventure layer. So over 25 years, I've been all over the world, climbing mountains, running marathons on every continent, you know, doing, becoming a pilot and flying in different parts of the world. So my adventure layer has been building since I'm 39, and I've added other layers to my life uh, as well. So you mentioned the photography and the creative layer, a philanthropy layer. And so this, this adds up to a big, huge, delicious you know, layer cake. But, but the focus is for the individual. What is it that brings you fulfillment and satisfaction outside of work and outside of your family commitments? What have you found that when you're interviewing people, what have you found that keeps them from having those layers? Do they, are they just too exhausted, too tired, too worn out, spending 80 hours a week on their business? What is keeping them from it? Is it mindset? Yeah, I, think, I, I, I think two things. I think one is lack of focus um, and really not spending the time thinking about what, what do they want, what's important, why is it? And oftentimes people will say, well, I don't know where to start. And one of the things I learned in interviewing um, a lot of these folks is they went back to their younger self. They went back to their 20-year-old self, their 22-year-old self. I mean, we all know the story of the person who wanted to be an anthropologist but became an accountant because it was a practical solution to getting a job, right? Or in my case, McGarvey Black, who was a sales executive who I interviewed in the book, who had always wanted to be a novelist and she never quite got off the ground. And in her 50s, she started the process. She said, I'm going back to my younger self from 30 years ago. And she took writing courses and she took the Dan Brown masterclass and she went to the Mystery Guild Writers Conference. She wanted to be a mystery writer. And she wrote her first novel. She had 170 rejections. She stayed with it. She wrote a second novel and she got a, she got a publisher. And she's now in her mid sixties and she has published five mystery novels and she calls herself a novelist. And so I think it's a great way to go back to your younger self and pick up on a thread that you, that you let go. 
Yes, sometimes what I suggest is that people pull together what we call the kitchen cabinet, which is bringing together your old friends, if you still have them, some who knew you in high school, some who knew you in college, because I find that a lot of us tend to drop the things we're not good at, or we drop mm -hmm. the things we're told are not going to make money, right? Mm -hmm. But they yeah. were things we loved. And I know people People, for instance, who wanted to be ballerinas when they were six, like all of us, until I figured out that I run into everybody and go backwards, so it ain't going to happen. And they later on in life came back around and ended up working for ABT in some other way, in a you know financial way. Or a, but it's a wonderful way of picking up, as you say, the old threads. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I think it's really wise to get your, your friends and, and family. One, one exercise, the book has lots of inspirational in, interviews, but it also has lots of tools and resources. And one of the things, to your point about the kitchen cabinet, ask your friends, I ask 12 people, family and friends, give me, give me five adjectives that you think define me and ask them all separately. And it was interesting to see the results. For, for me, nine out of the 12 people said generous. And that, that's really an important quality that I see in myself, generosity of time, spirit, money, all the above. And I think your friends, your kitchen cabinet can really bring you great insights as to, you know, not only qualities, but hey, what do you think I'm good at? You know, what do you think I should do? I, I interviewed a woman who was an elementary school teacher in suburban Atlanta. And her friends, to, to your point, her friend said, Patricia, you're one of the funniest people we've ever known. You should go do you know, stand-up comedy. And, and she had no idea what that meant. And they, they ended up taking her to a comedy club in Atlanta. And she said she got up on stage and she just like opened up. And <laughs> long story, Patricia Forehand is now a very well-established stand-up comic throughout the Southeast. She took comedy classes and here she is 60 and she's got this whole new career as a stand-up comic. So she relied on her friends, her kitchen cabinet to help steer her. It's amazing. I, I know a couple of people like that. One who is a, she was a technical writer for engineering. She used to write about trains and how they stay on the track. And now she's a stand-up comedian down here in New Orleans. It's so hilarious. And another friend who was in high school was the quietest girl in the class. I don't think I ever heard her speak five sentences in four years. And she got a divorce and she decided she wanted to do comedy. And now she runs part of the moth and she's hilarious. So you never, ever, ever know. You never so, know. And it's wonderful. Let's talk about the word we both hate. We share a passion for hating the word retire. How do we get rid of this stupid word? And let's put roar in there instead. Refire, as you say, rewire. How do we finally put it in the dustbin? Because I think it's just what, I don't know why it's become such an, it's a negative word. It suggests that you're just gonna bail out. And who wants to bail out? The, your life just starts to open up at this age, don't you feel? Yeah, you know, you're actually right. It's a toxic word, but there are a lot of toxic words like, you know, age appropriate and midlife crisis, which is really a midlife awakening. You know, if you go back to the construct of retire, it was created, 
you know, in the 30s and 40s when the, when the average life expectancy was 60, 62. And so you retired, you had a couple of years of sort of hanging out with the family and then you sort of left the planet. That construct is old, old, old news. And I think the, I call them the reimagineers, all these people who I interviewed who are actually doing the change. And they have um, completely rewritten the script as to how to rewire or refire into a second career, a new lifestyle, a new relationship, and acknowledging that, you know, when they're 50 years old, they've got a lot of living that they're going to have ahead of them, assuming that they are, that they are healthy and so forth. So we have, and you know this all too well, the, the, the ageism that, that is just throughout the culture, it really creates, it seeps into our own brains where we have a lot of self-imposed ageism about what we can or cannot do. And we have to sort of release ourselves from that, that, that ageist thinking. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things that I've seen is we do self-censor and we tell ourselves we can't do that, we shouldn't do that, we're too old to do that, we're, no, we shouldn't dress like that, we shouldn't look like that. And um, I think it's society's way of keeping us in a box that was not threatening. That's all I can come up with. Well, well, there's about to be a massive social revolution. It's probably gonna be one of the biggest. I would, I would equate it to some of the other big social movements because What's happening now is 34% of the US population is 50 plus. You know, every day 10,000 people are turning 65 and in 2030, one in five will be 65 plus. The people are going to force the change. The people are going to force, because this affects everyone regardless of gender, race, ethnicity. They're going to say, hey, corporations, hey, entertainment industry, you know, hey, imagery, hey, words, this all has to change because you are not reflecting who we are today. And so I think there, there are going to be leaders who are going to force this change. It's going to come from the people. And I think also, as you go forward, when you're looking at, I think they're saying now the kids born today, over half of them are going to live to be over 100. So they have yeah. to rejigger. Yeah. They have yeah. to rejigger how life is kind of chopped up into learning up until you're 20. That's no longer going to be sufficient. And the idea that you're going to have one job and then you're done at 65, that's not going to work anymore. So everything is going to have to be rethought. Let's talk a little yeah, bit. You know, Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, you're absolutely right. That was a Stanford University study called The yes. New Map of Life, and it's worth reading very interesting about how really this was a very old system based on the agrarian society, which we have not been for a very long time anyway, but mm. it's finally going to explode because of people living significantly longer. So let's talk a little bit about, because you interviewed so many interesting people and I have to admit I was one of them. That was so much fun. Um, talk a little bit about people have the problem of getting started. They are, they can't get themselves started. They're afraid to approach things. A lot of people sometimes wait until, you know, until they've got a pink slip on their desk that forces them out 
I wish every single person that came to Covey Club would come two years earlier so they could plan what they wanted to do. But what do you what do you find stands in the way of people actually taking hold of this and deciding for themselves what they're going to do next instead of in a crisis situation? Yeah, one of the things that I learned in all, all of these, these interviews is, um, you know, it's hard to take a brutal assessment of your life and, and where you are. Um, in, in, in all aspects, you know, it might be in, in your work, it might be in your personal life, your health numbers, your financial situation. But the, the big lesson and the common thread that everyone that became a reimagineer uh, went through is they tackled those issues. And by the way, you know, they didn't necessarily tackle them all at the same time although there was one woman who decided that one year was gonna be her you know, complete radical year of change where she was gonna change everything, which was really an interesting story, but they took on the thing that was most gnawing at them. And they went into what I call the deep think, and they spent that year or two really pulling it apart. And one of it was getting, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a good example of, uh, of a woman named Stephanie Young. You may even know her, Leslie. She was the magazine writer. She, was she wrote writer. for me. Yeah, she Glamour. She was go. an editor of mine there and at go. Red Book. Yeah, okay. I love Stephanie. So, so I interviewed Stephanie, who, as you know, in her early 50s, went through her own deep think. And she decided that she wanted to become a medical doctor, um, which is a really, you know, high bar because of ageism in, in medical school acceptances, et cetera. But she tells her story about how she did it. She, interestingly enough, uh, had it all funded and paid for through scholarships. She did an amazing amount of research. There's a lot of money out there for people who want to go back to school and relearn. You know, her marriage fell apart, you know, during it. Um, she, you know, forwarded on. And in her early 60s, she's now a medical doctor. And I think her her point was, I had a a career as a writer and an editor for, you know, 30 years. And now I'll be a medical doctor for 20, 30 years. And that's her second career. But, but she had to go through the hard thinking about what did she want for the rest of her life. And by the way, she majored in English. So she had to take chemistry and biology and all of the courses to work her way towards uh, the MCATs and ultimately medical school. So I think it's really identifying where your sore spot is and, and drilling down deeply into it. Yeah, Stephanie, hilariously on staff, we used to call her Dr. Young. <laughs> <laughs> there you because go. she was as good as a doctor. She knew, I mean, like if you needed to know anything, Stephanie had the answer. She was <laughs> totally brilliant. That's great. Talk about what else stands in people's ways, though. I mean, you must have heard people yeah. say, I don't have the money. I yeah. don't, my husband won't support the idea. Yeah. My kids are resistant. Yeah. Um, what getting that, what other, what things do people do besides just thinking about it? What do they actually do to make themselves get over that? Do they go into therapy? Do they get coaches? What are the practical steps that get them well, moving forward? Well, let's, I'll ask that in two ways. The first is, and there's a chapter in the book that, as you know, ROAR is an acronym and the final R is reassess your relationships. Because in, in not only in your, with yourself and your family, but also with your workplace and your community, 
And the one thing that was critical is getting the people around you who are on, let's call it team you, Y-O-U, as opposed to the naysayers who are saying, well, why do you want to do that? You know, are you too old or why do you want to do that? Isn't that going to take a lot of work, cost a lot of money? So you have to surround yourself with the people who are going to support your vision. And, you know, as you know, in our business, we have an important word called editing. And, you know, you've got to edit out the people who are the negative forces and they may be family and they may be, they may be friends, but, you know, they are, you've got to, you got to close your ears to those, to that noise and surround yourself by, by the right people. The second thing is we put a lot of barriers in front of ourselves to prevent us from doing, from doing things. And, and I'll go back to the Stephanie story and, and funding, you know, many people in their mid forties, mid fifties say, well, I'd love to go back to school, but I can't afford it. And I, I don't have the time. Well, first of all, time is yours to, to take hold of and prioritize. So time is something that you can find if something's important to you. But what I learned is the enormous amount of scholarship money, free money there, there is for people in midlife. And many states, by the way, if, you're, if you're, your income is below $25,000 a year or you're over 60, you can go to college for free. There's a great source called Scholarship Owl, or you can get scholarships at mid-career, mid-life. So there's really no excuse if you do the homework because money is out there. There's a lot of money out there. So I think part of it is surrounding yourself by the right people. And the second part is being using your ingenuity to really find, in the case of life learning, you know, something that that is that is new. You know, going back to going to a therapist, I think it depends if you need to, you know, clear your head. But there are other ways to do it. I mean, as you know, I'm a marathon runner, so that's how I clear my head and I get a lot of clarity and answers. So maybe it's running or it's yoga or it's, you know, some form of exercise that that is a is a way for you to to clear your own head to get to where you need to go. Interestingly enough, I think Columbia is one of those places, as I recall, once I was halfway through my degree there, where my husband found out that like if you waited till 65 or something, your courses go down from 7,000 to like, I want to say like $700 or some ridiculous thing. You can go back and get, you can go back now, and do whatever you, you want. Now you tell me. Right. <laughs> now you I know. Me. I didn't know either. I didn't right. know either. So talk a little bit about what do people who have regrets do? Not everybody is thrilled with where they got to in their 50s. They made a lot of compromises. They made what they might consider a wrong turn. How do they get, how do they let go of that? I didn't think it would turn out this way and turn themselves towards looking at the future. There's a really great book that, I reference in Roar called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And it's got a somber title, but it is filled with wisdom. It is a book written by a hospice nurse. And she was with people at the end of their lives. And she aggregated a lot of the sentiments over years and years of being with them. And the, the number one thing that always stuck out in my mind was, I wish I had been more true to myself. I wish I had not listened so much to other people, to my spouse, to my kids, to my this, to my, to my that. And, and if you're 50, once again, you're gonna hopefully live a very long life. 
now is the time to be true to yourself, to follow your own North Star and to have the courage to step out and follow that star. And there are some examples in the book of you know, people who, who did that. One of my favorite stories was a guy who his father said, I'll pay for your college education if you study business. And he really wanted to be a social worker. And he, he studied business. He had a 25 year old, 25 year, very successful business career. And at the age of 50, he basically, you know, went into a deep funk and depression that he was just not living the life that he wanted to live. And he took a sabbatical and he took a trip and he did the ayahuasca ceremony in Peru, which you might be familiar with. The, um, it's a hallucinogenic natural herb drink. And he said he was sitting there and he looked across the water and he saw his 15-year-old his self. And he said, I'm so sorry that I abandoned you. And he came back to New York and he quit his job and he basically depleted his savings <laughs> to start a social justice uh, nonprofit. And he's 57 now, and he just is absolutely loving it and thriving with it. And he, he said, it took me 25 years to be true to myself and to sort of shed myself from this, you know, the influence of my, of my parents. And, you know, it takes courage and it takes guts, but he did it. He stepped out. And there are lots of other examples of people we all know. Um, and so that would be, you know, one, one, one thing I would talk about. Did you see any differences between men and women? I mean, I deal only with women predominantly. So I was um, surprised reading the men in your book. They seem yeah. pretty much the same. The only thing that I've run into before with men personally, um, and I'm thinking of doing Covey for men because there's so many men yeah. who are having these yeah. issues, is they don't seem, they seem to be so much more resigned to not making a move. I don't know if that's just the people that I ran into, but it was like, okay, I don't have any other ideas. So I'm just going to keep my head down and keep doing what I do because I'm good at it. And they like me, even though I'm like dead man walking here. Yeah, no, I think your, your observation is absolutely correct. I think, I think women are, are better at, at this because I think if you think about it, you know, women have had to be so much more flexible in their, their lives because they tend to still uh, have the, the primary responsibility of raising the kids. And, you know, they may step out of the workforce and they're going to go back into the workforce. You know, when the empty nest syndrome hits, you know, the, if they've stepped out of the workforce, it creates, a, you know, an important sort of where, where am I and where should I go moment. Um, and, and I think that it's true. I happen to specifically went on the search to find men who actually were more enlightened or more flexible or more able to to change because I wanted to put a spotlight on that because I think you're absolutely right men tend to be more I, I don't want to speak in, in generalities but they tend to be more rigid in, in terms of their of their of their change and their in their lives and so in the case of the book, it was uh, both men and women, but I agree it's 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 tougher for men to to make change. Yeah, I do. It was just a, I felt sadder for them. I mean, I you know I I get upset for women because of all the barriers they have in front of them, but then talking to some men, especially ones who've done well, this this there's a sadness there about not ever finding that kind of like little twinkle of something else that's out there. 
So as we pull into our last bit of the conversation, let's talk about what tips and tricks would you give people who are trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves? Obviously, there are a lot of obvious things. Do you have a favorite reading list, a couple of books that you think are the best, or a couple of podcasts that you think really are, you know, things that people would love? I mean, we've been talking about reinvention here for a couple of years now, so I want your insider stuff. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. there's the book. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I think what you've done with Covey Club has just been remarkable, and it's a great support system for women to exchange ideas and to think about you know, what they, what they want to do and how they might want, want to do it. But there are, there are so many, I list about, um, gosh, 25 books, um, in the recommended resources in, in Roar. And, you know, many of them are, um, a book I think you're familiar with one is younger next year, you know, living strong, fit, sexy, and smart until you're 80 and beyond. Uh, the Grown Woman's Guide to Online Dating, Lessons Learned While Swiping Right, sw Snapping Selfies and Analyzing Emojis is <laughs> a great, great book. Um, there's a, um, the, the End of the Retirement Age, Embracing the Pursuit of Meaning, Purpose and pros Prosperity. So, you know, there's a, there are a lot of, uh, of books. I think one of the, one of my favorite books, and you know, Lee Eisenberg from the magazine business, he was the longtime editor of Esquire. Uh, he wrote a great book called The Number, What Do You Need for the Rest of Your Life and What Will It Cost? Because I think if we're going to live a very long life, we have to make sure that we have financial resources that are going to support that life. And you mentioned it earlier, we may be working longer. The 60-year career may not be, you know, uh, it's going to become more normalized. The, the challenges of Social Security and, and Medicare moving forward. So what, you know, what are the, how much money do we need to live the life we want to live, et cetera. So there are lots of resources and websites in the book Roar, which people can tap into. Is there any podcast or anything or any person that you follow that you're particularly inspired by that people would not have known about or heard of? Well, I think they, everybody certainly knows Brene Brown, and I think she does, you know, an incredible, an incredible job. Tim Ferriss, you know, is another, is another person that, that's out there. But, you know, for, for, for this topic, which is, you know, second half of life, a lot of the voices are predictable and same old. And so I'm hoping that new voices are going to emerge um, like hopefully my own in the book Roar that will emerge to put a more positive spotlight on how we can reimagine. One of the questions I like to ask people is what is your favorite future? Just ask people that question and see what kind of response you get. And by the way, ask, ask yourself too. But you know, this process of reimagining should be with us on a constant basis. And I love talking to people in their 80s and say, what's your, what is your favorite future? I remember asking my 85-year-old mother that question. And you know, she said, well, honey, you know, my favorite future is that I want to have a happy death. I don't want to have a painful death. And I was like, when you're 85, you probably think about that. And you know, mom fortunately had her, her future realized. She dozed off on a Sunday morning while she was reading the paper and she and she left us at 89. So, 
no pain, you know, and it was, um, you know, it was her, her wish to, to leave us that way. But um, I think that question, that constant quest of what is your favorite future and, you know, getting ahead of it and always reimagining as a, as a lifelong process will help people to, to always reinvent. And on that note, thank you so much, Michael. And I'm so happy to see you in the reinvention business. It's wonderful, <laughs> not what I expected, but I love having you there because you are so brilliant at all that you do. And um, I just so enjoy connecting with you and seeing, I think you're gonna be, I'm calling you Michael Robbins because you're gonna be the, <laughs> the, uh, the Robbins of the reinvention crowd for those of us who are 50 plus. Right. Thanks so Thank much you. again. Thank you, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank Leslie. Thank you all for joining us and listening to Michael talk about his new book, Roar. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you go out and pick one up and you're going to learn so much about reinvention. And I hope that if you enjoy talking about reinvention and learning about reinvention, that you'll pop on over to the Covey Club. That is what we do. We have articles for you. We have interviews. We also have all kinds of groups that we gather together. We have pods where women get together and discuss these issues and how to actually support each other while they reinvent themselves. We have masterminds. We have all kinds of things that actually move you out of your stalled moment and into actual action that will help you get to your reinvention. As Michael says, everybody should be reinventing themselves and we have to going forward. And the great part is Covey Club is here to help you with that. So thank you for joining us. If you like the podcast, please rate us and leave us a review. And we are happy to see you next time. Take care.